This is a custom episode from Postscript Studios and Wood McKenzie. Suddenly, everyone is talking about green hydrogen. Green hydrogen, once dubbed freedom fuel by President George W. Bush, is making a major comeback. As the world moves along the path to a net zero carbon future, several countries are developing green hydrogen roadmaps to support decarbonization of their economies uh, by 2050. The Intermountain Power Project is set to convert its Delta coal plant into a green hydrogen plant to create renewable energy for the region. It's all aimed at accelerating a renewable energy push in a region still mostly dependent on fossil fuels. From South Africa to the United Arab Emirates, from China to Utah, governments and developers are eyeing hydrogen as a decarbonization tool. But the rush is also raising lots of questions. Where will hydrogen be most useful? How do you create a supply chain to support it? And how can we ensure it actually has climate integrity? For answers, I turn to two experts who are obsessing over the future of hydrogen. It's in the news a lot, it's on the brain a lot, and I think of hydrogen, especially green hydrogen, as a super game changer for what we're gonna do about this climate problem we have. Janice Lynn is the founder and CEO of Stratagen, and she's also president of the Green Hydrogen Coalition. We're making sure that clean energy solutions like green hydrogen have an opportunity to compete fairly on a level playing field with their fossil fuel counterparts that have been around for 100 years. And Stephen Lamb is the director of sustainability at Bloom Energy. Bloom is a company deploying zero carbon solutions like green hydrogen. So as director of sustainability, I've helped to position the company um, around some of those uh, decarbonized products and ecosystems that are forming. And, And among the many things that you focus on, how often is hydrogen on the brain? Well, increasingly all the time. So it's something that, that we think about a lot and is capturing an increasing amount of mindshare. With so much renewed attention on the resource, we brought Janice and Stephen together for a discussion about where green hydrogen tech, markets, and applications are headed. We started with what makes green hydrogen different. We can't have a conversation about hydrogen without talking about the full spectrum of colors and where green hydrogen fits in on that rainbow. So Janice, can you break out the the easel and paint a, a picture of all the hydrogen colors for us and, and, and where green hydrogen fits in? You know, the first thing that's worth mentioning is that hydrogen is a very mature, globally traded industrial feedstock. And sadly, you know, the 100 million metric tons that's produced every year around the world, most of it is gray and brown, meaning it's uh, produced from uh, fossil fuels, either oil or natural gas, and it produces a lot of emissions. If you treated global hydrogen production as a country, it would emit more carbon than Germany. So that gives you an idea of the scale and scope and what's at stake. The good news is that hydrogen can be made from renewable resources. There's multiple feedstocks. And when we think about the colors, there's a a very big rainbow of colors of hydrogen, depending on the feedstock. And the GHC's definition of green hydrogen is not made from fossil fuel feedstocks and has climate integrity, meaning when you produce the hydrogen from those feedstocks, you're emitting zero or de minimis greenhouse gas emissions on a life cycle basis. So you need a feedstock and an energy source. Yeah. So, you know, when we think about green hydrogen, we're talking about electrolytic hydrogen. So using electrolyzers to produce hydrogen from water. 
the, the definition can certainly be broader and the GHC's mandate is broader, but as an electrolyzer manufacturer, that's certainly how we think about the world and use and, and use of renewable power as the power feedstock to do that. The colors to date have been very helpful, I think, in orienting stakeholders to a, a relatively complex and nuanced landscape. But at the end of the day, the colors are all really meant to sort of you know, give folks an idea of the environmental profiles associated with the production pathways and the utilization pathways. So Janice, there's been, this is a mature industry. We've seen waves of interest in hydrogen for different applications, but now we're, we're seeing just a massive amount of interest in green hydrogen. Why is that? Why, why have in the last couple of years, we seen an, an additional surge in interest from governments and project developers alike? Yes, and it's certainly in the news a lot. And I would say one of the key drivers is there has been a big focus nationally at the country level on economy-wide decarbonization. We've made lots and lots of progress in the power sector. Wind and solar are now cheap, you know, the lowest cost form of energy at the margin. But it's electric sector. And the question is, how do we take that low-cost renewable electricity and bring it to other hard-to-abate sectors. Electrolytic production, which Steve mentioned, is poised for really rapid cost reduction. Those pathways, electrolysis equipment is getting much, much cheaper. So similar to how solar scaled, wind scaled, battery storage scaled and became cheaper, electrolysis is also poised to scale and become much cheaper and to take advantage of all that abundant, low-cost wind and solar. And with the right policy framework from at the country level, at the state level, at the local level, you have, you know, the right uh, recipe for a value proposition that works. So we're starting to see where this value proposition can make sense. And part of that value proposition and why I'm personally really excited about green hydrogen is that um, this uh, amazing little molecule can be used to displace fossil fuels in multiple sectors, and we can repurpose a lot of the existing infrastructure that we already have. I wanted to step back and and think about the the market segments or the taxonomy here, and you, because I feel like it's important to explain what we mean when we talk about hydrogen. Right, we're talking about a, a lot of different things. Hydrogen is used in for ammonia fertilizer, for oil refining, for chemical chemical production. It's also used in stationary fuel cells for on-site power generation transportation, buses, forklifts, cars. Can we just separate the the applications a bit more clearly and the market segments? How would you think about describing that taxonomy? We need applications that can use much larger quantities. How are we going to store or what kind of storage are we going to need when we start hitting really high penetrations of solar and wind, which is the lowest cost energy at the margin? And when we did that analysis, it became clear that the future 100% clean power sector will need really bulk storage, multi-day, weekly, monthly, seasonal storage. And after looking around, and there's a number of promising pathways that are under development, we realized, wow, you know what? Hydrogen storage is one way of storing that abundant renewable energy and then you can use it to dispatch any. So you can achieve a reliable and clean power sector that's 100% renewable with green hydrogen. 
You could probably go pretty deep on this subject, but I'll, I'll keep things at a relatively high level. You know, I think that we think about the hydrogen market in sort of four segments, you know, transport, industrial, building heat and power and, and power generation applications. You know, when you think about the hydrogen market, we can be talking about the generation of hydrogen or its utilization, you know, in, in power generation, for example, and that's certainly our business. What's interesting is that there's sort of the same core technologies, many of the same players that are present in both um, electrolysis and power generation through a fuel cell. And that's in part because the technologies are, are very, very similar. You can, you can sort of think of electrolyzers as fuel cells run in reverse. And, you know, at Bloom, we utilize the same platform, many of the same components, the same supply chain. And so as we think about where we're focused from an innovation perspective, it's really on addressing the issues of, of ramping and um, how to work within a context of renewable power production that's intermittent. And so, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about how to keep our systems hot and um, have some really promising innovations utilizing, you know, kind of batteries and heaters and things that um, keep the systems in hot standby so that you can, you know, capitalize on those high efficiencies without, you know, being challenged by some of the operational dynamics. The other thing I'll say that's interesting about the, the high temperature application is there's the potential for, for waste heat integration. And we're looking at that in the context of, say, district heating or other industrial waste heat for on-site applications, um, and then things like concentrated solar as well. So a lot to be excited about from an efficiency perspective, primarily because you know, about 80% of the cost of, of hydrogen is the cost of power used um, in the electrolyzer. So if you can have a, a really high efficiency, can, you can bring down those costs pretty quickly. I think what Stephen is also addressing is that some pathways have the ability to generate other benefits, right? Electrolytic equipment can be flexible. It can ramp. The ability to modify your energy consumption is incredibly valuable to the grid. Uh, we pay resources, <laughs> real money for spin, non-spinning reserve, ancillary services. That's something that just uh, simply the ramping capabilities of certain electrolytic technology can deliver that value too. So on the one hand, we're all about how do you lower cost, but we have to pay just as much attention to making sure that we capture those benefits, capture the waste heat, compensate and, and be able to uh, use this equipment for uh, ancillary services on the grid. And the two other areas I wanted to mention, in addition to the four applications Stephen mentioned, hydrogen, green hydrogen has a tremendous role certainly to displace gray hydrogen as an industrial feedstock, oil refining and ammonia. It can also be an important precursor ingredient to producing decarbonized liquid fuels and derivatives. Jet fuel is probably, you know, super high value at the margin. Green hydrogen is a key ingredient in making synthetic jet fuel. Both of you are very focused on climate solutions, sustainability, and there are a lot of concerns when people look at the renewed interest in the hydrogen economy, that it's coming from players that are just going to lock in more fossil fuel production, and that the majority of hydrogen is not going to come from renewable resources, but it will come from fossil fuels. And I wonder, uh, Janice, if you have initial thoughts on how to ensure the climate integrity of hydrogen, how to make sure more of it's coming from renewable resources, and what the, the climate imperative is for making sure that this broader shift to hydrogen has a true environmental benefit. 
Yeah. What I would say to the folks that are concerned about maybe is green green hydrogen being used as greenwashing, I would say there are definitely initiatives and projects underway where it is the furthest thing from that and where we're looking at advancing green hydrogen production at scale, driving down cost to directly displace fossil fuels. There are some traditional fossil fuel companies that are supporting this, investing in it. And from my standpoint, that's good news because if these companies can find a way to create a reason to exist that's built around a cleaner pathway forward, that's going to make progress happen faster. And the way we make sure that they do it is to ensure that progress forward is has climate integrity front and center. First of all, Jan- Janice is right on with leading with climate integrity, leading with data, strong standards, strong uh, monitoring, reporting, and verification requirements. Those are the things that have built environmental markets that underpin you know, a lot of the climate action that's taken place to date. So those all have to come forward and be present. And there's a lot of inspiration that we can take from the renewable natural gas space. So this has been something that is quite live, I guess, in the environmental community or the environmental markets, trying to understand life cycle carbon intensities of, uh, of a renewable fuel that has a variety of different ways that it can be produced, a variety of different ways that it can be consumed. It looks very similar to hydrogen in, in a lot of respects. And so, you know, thanks to the low carbon fuel standard, there is a, a life cycle model, there are pathway approaches, there are verification entities that have jumped in to support the space, and really precise ways of trying to understand the nature of the impact. So a bunch of different things need to come together. The good news is, you know, those standards organizations exist. The uh, the inspiration exists. And we just have to work through the details. How do we create more demand for green hydrogen? What are the ways that you can combine multi-sectoral demand to justify large amounts of production? We have a solution to this. It's called our Hydeal North America platform. And what this platform is all about is how do you create a green hydrogen economy in a targeted location to achieve very low cost, mass scale delivered green hydrogen. In fact, we're targeting, you know, under $2 a kilogram delivered. And it starts with demand aggregation. And it starts with large users that can credibly commit in a bankable way with a good balance sheet to large quantities of uh, green hydrogen procurement over time. Once you have a couple of large off-takers ready to stand up and go, adding the next one and the next one and the next one becomes much easier. Once you have visibility into mass scale demand, and I'm talking like you know, for a particular area, and our first hub is Hydeal Los Angeles, we're looking at on the order of one to three million metric tons of green hydrogen in the LA basin, you now have visibility into how do you produce this green hydrogen at scale for low cost, and you have enough visibility into the demand and the offtaker where you're going to make it to build the infrastructure necessary to connect the two. And who are the offtakers? 
In the case of the LA Basin, we're very lucky because there's lots of potential off-takers. The leading off-taker that we've been working with very closely, who has now issued a public RFI, Request for Information for In-Basin Procurement, is the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. They're the largest municipal utility in North America, and they are blessed with one amazing ingredient. (laughs) They have so many other uh, talents, but chiefly, they have leadership, right? Like they have the leadership starting with the mayor of LA, the goal to be 100% renewable. The mayor just accelerated that from 2045 to 2035. And uh, importantly, LADWP has been leading on green hydrogen as one of the primary off-takers, the largest off-taker of Intermountain Power Project, which is a large coal plant in central Utah that's being converted to a 100% green hydrogen combined cycle gas turbine. And uh, LA is the largest off-taker of that plant. So they are definitely putting their money where their mouth is and making it happen. There are six oil refineries in Los Angeles. There are more hydrogen fueling stations in LA than any other county in the country. We've got several airports and industrial off-takers too. And importantly, the Port of LA, Port of Long Beach combined is the largest uh, port in North America. Someday we will be exporting green hydrogen at scale to places like Hawaii and Japan. So what are the biggest policy needs right now then? Well, how many, I mean, how many do you want to list? <laughs> there's plenty. Um, I mean, one that we are actively involved in is um, at the federal level and the creation of a PTC for green hydrogen uh, development. And that could potentially be very meaningful, something that Senator Carper's team uh, introduced on the Senate side. And, and we've been, again, actively supporting Back to some of the original discussion around, you know, how do you how do you stay focused on climate outcomes, you know, and and what is some of that inspiration from from the renewable natural gas market that's kind of um, informing the landscape, you know, the the current draft language pegs access to that incentive to different CI thresholds, different carbon intensity thresholds. So some of those concepts are already starting to bleed over. A, you get to keep your eyes on the prize with respect to the environmental impact, um, but also utilize the system that folks are now comfortable with. Um, and there are, you know, models, um, life cycle models that are that are being referenced that are the same types of life cycle models that have been brought forward in biogas as well. One of the key findings that uh, came out of the first phase of High Deal Los Angeles is, on the one hand, we can do this. We can achieve mass scale, low cost, sub $2 a kilogram delivered green hydrogen into LA. There's a roadmap and multiple pathways to get there. All of these pathways require regulatory uh, intervention and market innovation. And we have to start that right now, because as we know, this takes some time. So I'll start with um, one of the uh, key areas that um, we uncovered federally. So the lowest cost way of delivering mass scale green hydrogen is via pipeline. When we think about um, the high cost of hydrogen today, a good chunk of that is just getting it there from point A to B. And today, hydrogen's delivered on trucks. It's not the most cost-effective way to do it. We can take that down so much to something like 20 cents a kilogram from, you know, multiple dollars per kilogram with a 100% hydrogen pipeline. Europe has come to this conclusion, and that's why they're actively converting their gas backbone to a hydrogen backbone in Europe today. 
However, interstate, there is, shall I say, a lot of ambiguity as to which agency in this country has regulatory jurisdiction over the economic regulation of interstate hydrogen pipelines as a fuel. So that could use some uh, clarity going forward that will certainly help with um, (laughs) uh, investment and development of the network that we are going to need. Even for High Deal LA, the hub that we're envisioning has a lot of concentrated offtake in LA, but it necessarily needs to be connected to other states and other regions because those other regions are where we have really low cost production. We have to be able to leverage all of our resources on a regional basis. We also looked at other pathways. So we realize 100% hydrogen pipeline may take some time. It is possible to inject Uh, green hydrogen directly into the natural gas infrastructure we have today, up to a limit. And we realize there's some uh, testing, some uh, demonstration that needs to be done, some safety demonstration. There are standards that are being implemented around the world. Our position is something like 5% should be pretty doable, and that would have a huge impact. Uh, Just for perspective, a 5% uh, green hydrogen injection standard just for California would be equivalent to taking something like 360,000 cars off the road every year. To be able to inject hydrogen into the gas pipeline requires regulatory intervention. It needs approval from the PUC. We need new safety standards. But that is an amazing infrastructure we have today that could be used for transport and storage of green hydrogen. We also looked at electric transmission Pathways. So in the case of electrolysis, your starting point is renewable electricity. Well, instead of moving the molecule in a pipeline, you can move the renewable electricity through your existing electric infrastructure, which is very prolific. It's all over the place. And we found that there is capacity in the electric infrastructure if you're willing to move that electricity especially not during peak times. And we can make that hydrogen locally um, We could start doing that next year um, really quickly. And here are the challenges. Well, how do we get access to that low-cost green electricity? It's uh, maybe a little easier if you are a utility, (laughs) like Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, but if you're a third-party developer that wants to spool up an electrolysis plant you know, somewhere and hook up with the grid, you have to be able to access that green electricity at a favorable rate, and you have to be able to certify its greenness. So there is, uh, you know, Stephen mentioned it earlier, you need a system for validation, tracking, and retiring those environmental attributes associated with that green electricity and tagging it to the green hydrogen production. We need a tariff. We need to be able to access that electricity in a very transparent and uh, easy way so you can demonstrate a value proposition. So those are just some examples. I could go on. Yeah, so I mean, certainly agree with all of the the talking points that um, you know that Janice just brought forward. Um, I'll add a couple here from you know sort of the industry side of the house, and that's that project examples really need to come forward. There's a lot of confusion about the operating models that will really be pervasive, you know, in the early days that will will drive the industry forward. So there are. 80 some odd gigawatts of electrolysis projects globally that have been announced, but maybe 200 megawatts of electrolysis projects operating and all but a handful sort of demo and project, uh, you know, kind of project scale or, or early, early project scale. 
you know, we're, we need some of those larger projects to come forward to set an example for, you know, what, what do those ecosystems look like? And I think cooperation amongst early movers is going to be critical. So, you know, Bloom as an electrolysis provider is just one small player, you know, in an ecosystem required to bring green hydrogen forward and deliver it to end users. And so I think that we're interested in, in collaboration models, structures, pre-competitive activities that would you know, allow some information sharing to occur so that we can scale all of this more quickly. Financing is gonna be a big part of all of this. The numbers are very big, these projects are very big, and we're gonna need the finance community to be an active contributor to the dialogue really expressing early on what they need to get comfortable financing some of these projects. I've been using this example uh, casually that, you know, this we're in a little bit of a hype cycle here where hydrogen can kind of do all things, maybe in the same way that blockchain could do all things five, six years ago. The reality is blockchain is really good at a handful of things. And it, you know, the the finding the use cases are going to be critical. And some of the noise, I think, will will, will quiet down and, and um, hopefully we're able to coalesce around the pathways that make sense for everyone. Yeah. And just to build on that, Stephen, I couldn't agree with you more. The challenge before us is vast. And the more we can stay open-minded and creative to using, working with different sectors and, and, and choosing applications in a smart and strategic way to grow the faster that we'll see progress happen. And we need to find a a path forward that's going to work from a business standpoint too. Because if it doesn't make business sense, boy, you're just really gonna be pushing a giant rock up a hill for a very long time. And the good news for green hydrogen is that while it's not the cheapest thing on the block today, every industry analyst agrees that in the long term, it's gonna be cheaper than gray hydrogen. So the challenge before us really today is how do we work together to discover those business models that are financeable, that see the progress happening in the ground as quickly as possible so we can build progress on progress. Janice Lynn is the founder and CEO of Stratagen, and she's president of the Green Hydrogen Coalition. Janice, thanks so much. Thank you, Stephen. And Stephen Lamb is director of sustainability at Bloom Energy. Stephen, thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to an episode produced in collaboration with Bloom Energy and Wood Mackenzie. Bloom delivers clean, reliable 24-7 electricity and hydrogen right now. Bloom's solid oxide fuel cell platform is simple, it's modular, it's flexible. The platform can be deployed for distributed electricity generation or as an electrolyzer to produce hydrogen. Bloom systems are installed all around the world at a wide range of locations, like hospitals, data centers, industrial sites, and retailers. And the scalability and learning curve of Bloom's fuel cell business drives down and accelerates the maturity of its electrolyzer business. For more information, visit bloomenergy.com energygang.